0: tuning into the Connor Chepnick podcast. This is episode number 12. Today, I'm excited to be uh, joined by Jens, who is the author of The Good Substack. Jens, thanks for taking the time to hop on today.
1: Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, my pleasure. Always looking to chat with fellow Bitcoiners. Um, so to get us started, one, one of the substacks that really resonated with me is the, the idea that your body is this proof of work. And I think we've seen all this marketing around, you know, being fat is good. And it's, uh, I mean, it's each their own, however you want to live. But I completely agree with you that the body is uh, the ultimate proof of work. And as much as we want to tell people, don't judge a book by its cover, people tend to judge a book by its cover. So I'd love to kind of hear what was the inspiration for that. And why do you think society is being so body positive while ignoring the side effects that come from being fat, like dying early, clogged arteries, whatever else you mm. name it?
1: Yeah, for a while now, I've really been fascinated um, and interested of the about the idea of what is the most perfect form of property, the form of property that is incorruptible, that can't be taken from you, um, that you own wholly and absolutely. And for me, just from a pure delineation standpoint, I think Bitcoin is the most invaluable property. And then second hand is your body, right? That's no matter what you always have stewardship over your first mind, which is Bitcoin, essentially, and then body. And the fact that most people today don't have control over their bodies, or they're they're given in totally and absolutely to their to their passions, to their lusts, to their gluttony, it shows that the essence of private ownership is on the decline, at least in the West. And having a body that you maintain, upkeep, and keep strong is The biggest thing in my life personally that I found that has helped me get to where I want to go, become more sovereign, um, get more money, whatever it be, having a strong body has helped me have a strong mind. And it's really disgusting to see that body positivity movement is going around, that the most precious thing that we have on Earth, which is our body, is just being totally abandoned, that we can have this thing that can be so good for us. And it can do so much for us. But yet, it's it's mean to call people fat if they're unhealthy. And it's not a very accepting, but yet, they're totally disrespecting this great gift that we've been given.
0: Yeah, it's a double whammy too. Because you know, one of the things that people love to talk about Bitcoin is this idea that you can store 12 words in your head, and go anywhere in the world with any amount of wealth that you can store in your head. And uh, it it just kind of makes me laugh because I'm not saying all fat people are forgetful, but the more you let your body go, the less properly it's gonna function. And the more likely you are, could you imagine having a significant amount of wealth stored in your head and then uh, (laughs) because you're out of shape, you just, you forgot a word. And then, (laughs) I mean, I guess it's a donation to the rest of us on the network, but I I think there's a, a clear correlation between being in good shape, how you feel about yourself, and uh how well you take care of other things in your life you know if if you're not willing to take care of your body why are you willing to take care of your bitcoin for mm-hmm. you know, someone who's in great shape they're much more likely to whether set up a multi-sig or make sure they properly handle the c phrases or whatever it is i think that's a that's a really great point you made
1: yeah it's, a strong body is a strong mind absolutely and a weak vessel will be commanded by others not by yourself and i think that's really the starting point for me, at least down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, is that I needed to be a vessel that I can command myself. And that starts, I think first with physical fitness and eating right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, another thing you talked about in your sub stacks were the importance of the nuclear family. And, uh, you know, as much as they want to push body positivity, the realistic thing is if you want to find a partner who wants to have a family with you, and you know, you want to start a nuclear family and one that lasts, um, how you carry yourself is going to have huge implications for whether your partner wants to stay with you, whether Mm -hmm. your children respect you and, you know, grow up to be like, I mean, your children are probably going to grow up to be like you in a lot of ways and how you carry yourself will have a huge impact on them. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And you got some great pieces about that in your Substack, So interesting. Yeah. The death of
1: the family, at least in the West is really sinister. I don't think people really understand just how bad the consequences of this dissolving of a was once you know traditional and very um, accepted standard in society but now has become something that is becoming out of fashion in some ways right it's it's more common to see a 30 year old woman or a 30 year old man who's alone than a you know a 30 year old family who has five kids six kids seven kids where that was once commonplace and I th- I think it is almost a direct attack by the state, in some ways, because the the state's biggest threat, to me is strong families that have a sense of familial lineage, and maintain a strong uh, history of tradition, and can maintain and preserve wealth over time, right dynastic strong families, because that is the biggest threat to government, as if families become independently wealthy outside of the regime. In more like in older times, when monarchies were more prevalent, right, the noble families, this is what kept the king in check, in some sense was the strong, noble families that had a large portion of wealth, land, uh, power influence um, to help check the power of the king. But that's becoming more and more so Non-existent in the United States or in the West in general, with things like inheritance tax, income tax, um, declining fertility rates. Uh, you know the the lack of bond between man and woman nowadays. Uh, the invent of dating apps. Most people uh, don't really value each other as potential family members or potential wife or potential husband, but it merely as objects to extract some sort of pleasure from and all of these things, those five things, really attack at the framework at the groundwork of what family is, which we can all see clearly today is, it's pretty unique to have a big, strong, healthy family. And that'll be the number one, in my opinion, in the next 50 years, that'll be the number one status symbol is a strong, healthy, happy family.
0: Yeah, you know, I think about my great grandma, who's dead now, but she had nine children. And uh, this is on my dad's side for Thanksgiving every year. We always have a massive Thanksgiving with anywhere from like 100 to 200 people at a single house. And it's such a nice family tradition. And uh, I mean, it is around the holidays, but whenever I'm spending time with my family during that, the last thing on my mind is pointing fingers or politics or all this other BS that, you know, I think sometimes uh, when I'm spending too much time on Twitter, I'm thinking about. So I, I think that's such a good point about how the nuclear family Makes you stronger and then you also brought up inheritance taxes and that's such a uh, a vicious attack on you know and, and it's under the guise of like oh we need to tax the rich and make sure people are paying their fair share but we're already getting taxed on our income when we transact with others we're getting taxed again via inflation and then now you're telling us the money that people somehow manage to save despite all of these things they have to get taxed to pass it down i mean it's just like it's like the government's spitting in our faces and uh i think bitcoin is such a hopeful thing that can fix that and i'm not telling people to go out and like just completely ignore inheritance taxes but at least this way you have some means or some recourse to make sure that you know if you if you got your setup right and you teach your kids how to handle bitcoin the state has to send someone with a gun to your home to extract that wealth that is your wealth and mm. uh when you're surrounded by family and you have these things, you become less reliant on you know, big brother to feed you, big brother for your social security check, big brother for your food stamps, and you, know, you, you feel better about yourself, you become more self-sovereign. It just kind of ties into that, that whole proof of work thing. So I think, uh, I think more people need to be aware of just how, how screwed we're getting on this deal from, from governments. One thing I wanted to ask, and I'm completely with you, that governments are definitely attacking the nuclear family. But I wonder if governments have considered the implications this might have on uh, the demographics because, you know, I, I, I can't believe my, my great grandma was able to have nine kids and absolute stud. But, you know, for people today, I mean, having two kids is like the normal. You rarely see anyone that has more than two kids. So, how do you think this will play out with the demographics? Do you think governments have thought about that at all? Or do you think they're just so focused on trying to break up the nuclear family they're not even worried about these second and third order consequences of their policy?
1: Yeah, well, in in Denmark, for example, uh, they ha- they're they in more of a later stage, I would say, of uh, the corruption of family, family is really rare in Denmark, especially big families. And I think a lot of that has come down to the cost of living that has continually increased. But even now in Denmark, they're offering really big, like tax incentives. Two families that will have multiple kids, many kids, right? Because if they the birth rate keeps on declining, in such a way, right, the pensions or the retirement funds, the entire welfare state of Denmark will collapse, and it will be not good for the government in the long run. And one thing that the government does, or they claim they do this um, to help increase the birth rate instead of increasing the native population through incentivizing childbirth through, right, the homogenous culture that has been there, they will actually take and implant large groups of foreign migrants, as under the guise of, well, we need to increase the, the population and the birth rate, so we can keep the welfare state running and have the taxes going, right. So there, you see already a large demographic change happening throughout Europe. Um, Japan is another example where they well they haven't even introduced really large migrant populations, but their citizens, the average age of each citizen is becoming so old, that Japan is really worried about in the long term, about how their nation is going to survive and thrive. Um, So they're doing lots of programs to incentivize native homogenous birth birth rate amongst the Japanese.
0: It reminds me of the child one policy or the China one child policy where you know they were telling people you can only have one child and if you have any more you're going to get fined and now they've completely reversed course and it's just such a uh, apt point on the shortcomings of central planning and what happens when you have a government in your home and I mean yeah the cost of living ties into the whole nuclear family thing too because you know if two people got to go out and work to provide an income then you're giving your kids to you know, I did a podcast with uh, Shane Hazel the other day and he called it state indoctrination camps. And I think that's such a good point. You know, we were just talking about the importance of language, and, and I also made the point that like, if they called taxation currency debasement, or they called abortion child murder, I think people might be a little more skeptical to just accept such things with face value, regardless of how you feel about Keynesian economics or pro-choice, pro-life. Regardless of that, I think if you just called it what it is, it, it would be a lot harder for people to ignore some of these shortcomings of these things. And, uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on democracy versus monarchy, because I think monarchy is obviously hard to implement in modern day society where we have these massive nation states and whatnot. But I think there are so many shortcomings of democracy for all the good it's done. I think the sovereign individual does such a good job just showing why democracy is kind of a a softer flavor of communism. And I think think now that we have something like Bitcoin, we can go to systems where we essentially outsource our democracy to, to software, to code, so people don't... I mean, governments should be there to protect private property. And outside of that, most central planning comes short. So I'd love to hear how you think about those two things.
1: Yeah, so I've been writing and thinking a lot about democracy and monarchy and government lately. Uh, Back when I was in high school, actually, I was really involved in learning about how great the Constitution is and how great democracy is and why it's the most equitable and fair and just system. And we're so lucky to have it. Um, I even went and I competed in competitions in D.C. and won some competitions in D.C.
0: Oh, well, wow, like debates?
1: Yeah, kind of. Yeah, regarding constitutional law, right, and talking about the philosophy of democracy and why it's such a good system. So I really, I've kind of seen really both sides of the coin. And then I read a book called Democracy, The God That Failed by Hans Hermann Hopp. He's a thinker in the Austrian School of Economics. Really good book. Um, it was really, it, it was a big paradigm shift for me. To but it out. I, I figured and I and I, and I learned and I kind of to start to realize now that democracy sucks. It, it might just be one of the worst government systems that has ever existed. Um, I even from a, a fundamental voting standpoint, right? When, as soon as you have three people, there's a thought experiment you can do. It's called the divide the dollar game. So you have $1, which is the public uh, treasury, right? That's what you've collected. And now you need to get 3 people to vote on how they want to divide that dollar. The problem is is that there is already almost an infinite amount of ways these people can vote to divide that dollar. Let's say person 1 wants, you know, half a dollar, person 2 wants the other half. These two people can then vote up against person 3 right, and say, you don't get any, I get 50 cents, and I get another 50 cents. But then person three can come along and say, hey, person two, vote with me, you'll get 53 cents, and I'll get 47 cents. Right. And so already, just from the fundamental standpoint of the voting system, it it devolves into a tyrannical and chaotic, right game theoretical mess that professors spend their entire life studying but never can really find out as like a solid voting strategy or voting method that produces like reasonable, fair, and um, the same outcomes over time.
0: Yeah, it's like that meme where there's like five people, and it's like four out of five people love democracy, and it's four people beating the shit out of one guy with sticks.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And those four other people, I mean, I I don't want to be super negative on humanity right now. But you mean, just take any walk down the street. And you don't want those people making decisions for you, like nine, nine times out of 10. And that's what democracy essentially is, it's the, it's the rule, of the majority, the majority of people, I would say are intelligent and unaware of the natural realities, and laws of the world. And yet, these people are making decisions for, you know, smart, intelligent people that have their stuff together. It, it's, it's, it's a terrible system. And yeah. to go along further democracies, the incentive structure for politicians to act in accordance with the will of their constituents is non existent. Other than just wanting to get votes, right, that that is the that is a mechanism by which democratically elected leaders can, you know, maintain their status and their wealth is just by getting votes. But once they're in office, and especially if they have term limits, and they know they're not going to be there for long, they have every incentive to move money around in their own benefit, right? Move the public good, the public money, the public treasury around to benefit themselves and to benefit them, their friends. And they have the incentive also to just move it around to certain particular ethnic groups or demographics to gain votes from them in the future. Whereas in a monarchy, if you are a bad king, and you pass a 50% tax on your citizens, let me tell you, it's gonna it might be you might be really wealthy for a couple months. (laughs) But in you know what they did in France. So it's a bad Kings. Yeah, off with the head. Yeah. Right. So you you can't hide from it As as a king as a monarch, you have to really, really care about the long term investment into your citizens, right? Because also a king has ownership of the the, the kingdom of the of the reigning, re- the regime of the government of the land. And so the king has every incentive to lay off on the taxes of the citizens, because the more the citizens are taxed, the less likely they will be to invest and to make money and to and to increase the net worth of the property that they're on. Whereas the more they are taxed, the less they will, uh, the less they will You know care the less they will produce value the less they'll make money right so it's it's reducing the like the the bottom line the worth of the kingdom over time in a democratic system whereas in a monarchy it tends to grow and become better over time
0: yeah it's better incentive for the rulers in a monarchy to treat their constituents or their people right and you know it kind of ties back to this first point about the body being the ultimate proof of work and when people's bodies get sloppy they stop thinking properly and a lot of people will accept the doublespeak you know i just finished 1984 by george mm. orwell which is a great book and uh some of the stuff you see tweeted by politicians like biden and newsom i don't care what side of the aisle you're on it is just pure doublespeak i mean the idea yep. you know california was talking about passing some bill about uh, doctors will lose their license if they spread covid 19 medical misinformation which is insane on the face of it because who's to decide what's medical misinformation what's mm-hmm. false today can be proven true in a month or two. You know, science is obviously constantly changing. So that's just insane. But then to see him call out his political opponents and, you know, to say they're trying to ban freedom of the speech, you know, what made the constitution so powerful, as I'm sure you know, is that it tried to decentralize power as much as possible. It saw the government as a necessary evil and it tried to make the government as weak as humanly possible that's why we have stuff like the second amendment that's why we have these different branches and that's why it's hard to get everything passed especially when we we don't have a a congress and an executive office that you know are on the same side of the aisle because it's supposed to be hard to change these Mm -hmm. fundamental rights that the people have and uh i'm curious what you think i don't think we'll be able to implement a monarchy per se in in the modern world i I think with you know, which just how big, you know, it's it's hard uh, to govern effectively. And even when you have some of these smaller local governments, you kind of see, I've heard examples, you know, of t- like, I mean, I think of like HOA associations in the United States, you give someone a little bit of power and they just go hog wild with it. They don't actually uh, re- respect that type of power. So I'm curious what you think, what type of system you think could be implemented going forward that would help humanity prosper and, not be in such a situation where for lack of a better word the average layman has a vote for the guy who's providing the most wealth and prosperity to the community
1: yeah that's a really good that's a really good point because i too at least at least for the united states i i don't think a, a monarchy will ever work right there's some places in europe a lot of the nation states in europe still actually have you know they have kings and they have the royal family still intact um should they ever take power again right they're right there and they're smaller and probably could pull it off a lot better than right one ruling monarch of the united states of america that would be kind of crazy
0: um, <laughs> yeah maybe some type of dictator or something it would not be yeah seen.
1: It, it, it would not yeah, it would not be a sound governing system at all um the future of the united states i believe will eventually devolve into some sort of balkanism i, I don't think the whole thing's going to stick together i mean the Civil War even showed us that, you know, only 100 years into America's history that, you know, like having this one big governing body that was oppressing, you know, groups of people, it just wasn't working very well. Uh, so I'd like to see states become a lot more essential, right? a, a much bigger role as they should have some of the founding of the Constitution. It was intended that they should play a much bigger role today. Whereas most people don't even think twice about the state that they live in and um, what it does for them. Um, and the, the particular advantages of living in a certain state because the federal government has absolutely outgrown and outpaced the importance and significance of the state economy. Um, I, I, I envision that it will decentralize to more state and more local powers once people lose trust in the United States government. And I think the trust in the United States government right now is hanging by a thread, which is the United States dollar. So as soon as people lose that, and they they realize that the entire reality that they've been living in is bullshit, then I think people will look back to more towards their local communities once they give up on the dollar, because they no longer need the, you know, centralized system of currency, and they will form local communities, right, they might, people might even be living something similar to the 1800s, where they're just raising sheep. You know, there's a local carpenter, local butcher. Um, I think that would be a lot better for society as a whole. And these types of local decentralized governments, they end up forming something that looks a lot more like uh, an aristocracy or more of a monarchy. I think that's kind of the natural progression of uh, governments, right? Because after the fall of Rome, all of the little nation states in Europe they they crumbled, they fell, right? They were no longer under the emperor, and they all kind of they went from this state of just natural rule, right? There's nobody really, no rules, to a family accumulating a large amount of land, a large amount of wealth, a large amount of respect from all the other people for one reason or another, because of merit, probably, right. Um, And right, a a monarchical form of government was founded, right, because a monarchy is just a a family who owns the land, the right to rule over the land. It's almost, it's really not a lot different from a landlord, right, but just on a much higher and uh, extreme scale. And eventually I think if things devolve to that state like they did after the fall of Rome, in the United States, that uh, like a a rise of the natural elite or uh, natural aristocracy is is pretty likely.
0: Yeah, and I think so many people today are so afraid of that because of the convenience that something like an Amazon or a Walmart or a Target provides, there's no denying I mean, those places definitely provide a lot of convenience to people but i think it kind of goes back to incentives and when you get so big you know jeff bezos could give i mean i'm not saying he doesn't give a shit about his company but he he doesn't care as long as the products are getting delivered he doesn't care about the quality he doesn't Mm. he doesn't have any incentive to you know he's just trying to make amazon operate as smoothly as possible versus the local butcher butcher who's constantly selling meat to his uh Citizens, you know, I was telling you before we started recording that my stepdad's got some land out in Montana, and some of the best meat I've ever had in my life is driving yep. through those small towns where the people are the butchers in there, and they got their own shop, and uh, I mean, you, you know, you literally see the animals hung out in the back, but that meat mm-hmm. is so fresh and it's such good quality. Versus, you know, if I go to my local star market here, it's like, even I mean, I try and find the grass fed stuff, but even then, it's it's not comparable to you know, the the small person, the small shop who's trying to provide. The maximum amount of uh, customer satisfaction because he's just more so incentivized to do it because he sees these people every single day. Mm. It's it's a more local, better, and maybe it's not as convenient, but it the the quality is just night and day. So I think that's uh, really important for people to realize. And I'm with you. I, I think we just it's so easy to lose sight of the state power, and I think the whole thing kind of keeping the federal government in power is the U.S. dollar, and it is hanging by a you know it's. I love Greg Foss it's like, it's the, the cleanest shirt in a pile of dirty shirts, or it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's the best horse at the glue factory or something like that. Like inevitably the incentives are just to keep printing this thing until we get Weimar Germany and this mm-hmm. thing just completely dies. And uh, I'm curious your thoughts on nat- national divorce. And if something like that happens, if you think it'll be a result of the dollar and then what monetary, I mean, obviously we're both Bitcoiners, so I, I think we know what we think it's going to be. But how do you think that would look in if the US dollar just completely failed? How do you think the the states would deal with that?
1: Yeah, I, I think the states would have a very hard time, right, keeping the the loyalty of their their constituents, I don't think that I don't think they would, frankly. Um, And it, it I mean, there will be a lot of probably pain in the beginning, because the systems that people have grown to become reliant on will not be there for them. Right, they they will they will one day wake up next day shipping. (laughs) Yeah, exactly they will wake up one day and they won't know how they're gonna get food. Right, because they've just been going ordering it from Walmart their their entire lives. They'll wake up one day and they don't know how they're gonna get energy to their house, how they're going to clothe their children, because they become so dependent on these technologies and on these systems that they themselves have become independent independent from their own abilities, right? it's, it's really sad to see how just how, how much of a house of cards it is for most people, their own subsistence and existence, that if the US dollar were to fail, their job, their family, their house, their their income, their food, everything about their lives, they are no longer able to procure for themselves. Right? And once the USD fails, the government isn't going to be able to provide those things for these people. So there's going to be a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. But I do think that humans throughout history, have been able to deal with adversity pretty well. And I do think that people would be able to sustain and provide uh, in spite of all the difficulties. I do think national divorce is likely. And I think people will resort to Barter, trading goods, Bitcoin, and maybe gold or silver, things like that.
0: Yeah, it's like that classic meme: hard times create strong men, strong men create good times, good times create weak men, weak men create hard times, and so forth. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just—it's—it's <laughs> it's crazy to be living through a time where we we have such abundance and prosperity, and yet we have such. Uh, so much malfunction across the system mm-hmm. because the, the people in charge of it. You know, one thing you did a really good job writing about is renting versus owning something. And I think the more stuff you can own in your life, it just goes back to incentives. The better off you are, you, you care about it more. And, that, and that's hard nowadays, because to buy a home is obviously, as they print more money, the price of real estate just goes astronomical. And I understand it's, it's hard to not rent in a lot of areas of your life. But I think some of the points you've been making, the more stuff you can own in your life the more you'll care about it the better quality it will be and uh you know to just to prepare for it for the times ahead i mean i I hope we're wrong i hope we don't see national divorce and it's just all kumbaya hoorah and we just get this like world of prosperity but uh the the likelihood of that is slim to none especially in a system where politicians you know i'd say they're almost like renting the us dollar you know they're renting these seats in a way and then you know, every election cycle, they try and do double speak or whatever works to get the, the, the layman to accept them and vote them in. And then when they get back in there, they just, you know, spin this thing. And it reminds me of the, the demographics point. Like, I don't think governments thought much about like, oh, if I break up the nuclear family, I'm gonna screw up our demographics. And then our country <laughs> was gonna fall apart because we won't have enough money to pay out social security and all these other benefits. And it's kind of the same thing with the, with the US dollar they're not thinking about like oh well what happens if the dollar fails and then people can't even go to Walmart or Target or Amazon because the measuring stick that the economy uses is so out of whack and distorted that it's worth nothing anymore they're just like i i got to you know i i want i want this spinning package or i want this pork in the bill so let's just go ahead and run it up and the next guy can figure that out and uh it's not that monarchy is perfect but i think monarchy in a lot of ways the monarch has to consider these things or else he'll be thrown out of office whereas a democracy it's kind of like yeah you know i'm only here for x number of years so i might as well get it while the getting's good and screw the next guy
1: yeah exactly because i think it really does come down at the end of the line too the a monarchy is a privately owned organization and a democracy is a publicly owned organization whereas we all know that private golf clubs are a lot nicer than public ones, private gyms are a lot nicer than public ones, right? Everything about the private system of ownership, it comes down to ownership um, is better than a public system. Because if a monarch or the regime owns the right to government, right, they own the land, then they have every incentive to invest into the future of that property of that land of that regime because they want a regime for their children to take, they want their regime to be better often than when they left it. Whereas a democracy, they have every incentive to extract value from the common good, the public good now, take what they can get their money bags, and then leave, right, and leave the state off in a worse condition than it was, because they are just renting from that, right? They're the, they're the, the, the temporary caretakers of that regime of that government and over time that will be very detrimental to any society
0: mm-hmm. so to anyone listening obviously a lot of black pills about democracy um but for all our faults of the system i do think the us has had the best form of democracy and as someone who studied the constitution a lot i'd love to hear kind of i guess for lack of a better word the white pills you see in the constitution and why despite all these flaws it's held up so well for i mean roughly about 250 years
1: I think the biggest thing that America had going for it um, from its from its founding to its to where we are now is the lack of people, honestly, because and the, the variety that the states offered. Um, because you, you live in Boston, I'm in the West. Um, uh, well, somebody living in the East that didn't like the state that they were living in, could just move west, they could they could take what they have, whatever how, how much it be, how little it be, they could take what they have, and they could move for greener pastures, right, more freedom, less law, essentially. And, and I think that was the kind of the engine that was driving the economic prosperity of the United States for such a long time. Uh, But as soon as people started reaching West, and now people are just kind of right, flooding to the West, and that there is not that difference anymore, it became harder to to flee an oppressive state for a more freer one. Um, And as well as the constitutional system of federalism, which is having multiple states under a loose, what should be a loose binding federal state. um, It allows for the constituents of those states to be better ruled by a, a smaller head of state, the governor, because the governor always knows, will always know better what his constituents need than a president or a mayor will always know better the needs of their constituents than the governor will. Right, And a father will always know the needs of his family better than the mayor will. So it kind of goes federal, state, local, family.
0: No, it's beautiful. I think it's easy to lose sight of the fact that like the president of the United States is the commander-in-chief. They are the head of the military. They should be making sure that across the globe, America is safe. And I think another thing outside of our beautiful constitution is just the fact that we have two shining seas separating us. So it's a Mm -hmm. lot harder for any nation state to come and attack us because they literally have to cross cross an ocean and when you were talking there it just made me think of it should be no surprise that people like the WEF and I'll just say the kleptocrats around the world are pushing stuff like 15-minute cities because they want to make it so people cannot opt out of their tyranny if you're going I mean like it kind of reminds me of gun control like regardless of where you sit on that issue anytime you see the government trying to take away people's guns it's typically followed by genocide, whether you look at Nazi Germany, Maoist China, you know, Stalin and Russia, when they start trying to take away people's guns, it's typically because they're trying to do some tyranny. And uh, with with these 15 minute cities where everyone's surveilled all day and no one has any weapons, no one can defend themselves, you're just stuck to the 15 minute area you're in, how do you opt out of that tyranny? I, I mean, they could jack up the tax rate to 99%, Now productivity would fall through the roof because who would work at that point there'd be no point you know all your money gets taken immediately but i think it's such a good point of what made america so strong now we're seeing the opposite trying to be implemented by kleptocrats around the world who, who, who don't want to give people the option to opt out and uh i'm very hopeful we have something like bitcoin to to fix that because if you have a form of money that you can store in your head and take anywhere, sure they could implement these 15 minute cities, but it becomes a lot easier to leave with some amount of wealth versus just be like, well, you know, it's like, this is where I grew up and it sucks losing, you know, the area you grew up in, but at least you, you can't opt out to some degree now.
1: Yeah. It's interesting to see just on the internet and in general, how many wealthy individuals are moving to what we consider as third world countries. And they're moving here because they, you know, I guess El Salvador, for example, or Honduras, or Saint Nevis and Kitts, right, all these little tiny third world countries, the wealthiest, the, the right, the finest of people living mm-hmm. from the Western countries are moving towards countries, not because of their great infrastructure or whatever, but because they respect their individual right to property. And I think this is going to play a large role in the the shaping of world governments from now on is that s- states who respect the rights of their citizens to the right to the property, right, they're very favorable in tax laws, and laws in general, right? They will see the wealthiest people move to their states, right, gain their econ- economic boost, gain their taxes, right, gain their support. Whereas the states that are oppressive, they will see people leaving in hordes to the more favorable states, right? So it becomes a market economy of states on a global scale. And this is this is the future for states who don't adjust who don't accept the Bitcoin standard, who don't accept and respect individuals rights to privacy and property.
0: Yeah, and you just read I mean, obviously, we're, we're both looking at it from the internet. I, I don't know if you've been to El Salvador yet. But like when I actually see people talking about boots on the ground there, and know what it's like it seems to be a lot of excitement and like we want to build something here and it's special and bitcoiners across the globe are going there and then you look over to the eu and i mean i'm no expert in europe but like you see britain doesn't want to give up their pound and you know they left the eu because they're not willing to turn over their money to a bunch of central bankers and all these people are fighting and i forget which country just uh it's not romania some some smaller country accepted you know the, the euro and then immediately all their money got devalued and. I think people are getting pissed off and it's kind of one of these things paints the best teacher and as more people realize that our monetary system is broken, uh, you know, it's best to get out now if you have that amount of resources. And even in, you know, the states, the the fact that uh, we've seen so many people flee California and New York for states like Florida and Texas, I mean, none of these places are perfect, but I think it says a lot that people still in the United States are voting with their feet and uh, leaving these states where, they're just instituting absolutely heinous policies, you know, taxing people, ridiculous amounts. And, you know, I was just in Georgia, and I I remember seeing a billboard that was like, uh, in New York, you can get an abortion. So move here or something like I'm paraphrasing, But like, I'm just thinking, like, again, regardless of your like, that's the cell, you can come Mm. murder your baby up here. Like, that is what not we got better tax policy, or we're the hub (laughs) of innovation, or this is like, you know, where the, you know, center of the world is no, you can murder, murder your baby here. No problem with us. Come on up. Like, I, I mean, I, I, it's just clown world. I can't think of a, another way to put it. Just absolute clown world.
1: Yeah, for sure. And let me tell you, you said something there that I think is key that people don't understand is the difference between voting, which we've come to know it and voting with your feet and voting with your dollar. Those voting with your feet and voting with your dollar, are so much more important than whoever you vote for in, in any election. It's whatever you're voting, I mean, the odds that your vote, this is another just funny, like, just the mechanics of voting just doesn't work. The odds that your vote is going to change anything, like, you, you'd be better, you'd have more chances of winning the Powerball five times in a row <laughs> than, than, <laughs> than that vote doing anything, any any substance, right? But voting with your feet and voting with your dollar is is going to do much more for society, your family, for you as a whole, than getting caught up in the theatrics of politics that don't even exist anymore. Right? Politicians all have the same agenda. It's just a matter of how radical do they want to get there. How right? the left just wants to get to this dystopian hellscape right now, right? With with not hiding it, and the and the right side, the the Republicans, they just want to get there, but slower. Right? They don't really stand <laughs> for anything. Um, because in, in reality, they're all owned by the central banks they are all owned by private interests behind the federal reserve yep. ever since 1920 or 1913, 1914, I think. And when Russell Will, Russell, what's the name? Woodrow Wilson yeah. signed the yep. federal reserve act. The, the interests of the state government became completely beholden to a private interest that owns the money, right? The, the state <laughs> stopped caring about people from that point And since that point on.
0: Yeah, I, I remember learning about Nicholas Tesla, and he was working with JP Morgan, who uh, I, I get to go back and find like, but one of my buddies sent me like, who are the private shareholders of the Federal Reserve? And I'm pretty sure JP Morgan is one of those private shareholders. And uh, when Tesla was like, we're gonna have such abundant energy, no one's gonna have to pay for it. JP Morgan was like, whoa, 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 <laughs> Th- that's not gonna fly. Like, you're, how are we supposed to make money if energy is so cheap that everyone can have it? And it, it's like, it's not a laughing matter, but I don't know what else to do a laugh about this like whole green energy movement. Like, yes, I think any sane person wants the environment to be as healthy as possible and they want these flourishing ecosystems. But it, it goes back to what you're saying about voting with your money. When you spend at, in I mean, I'm guilty. Like I try and avoid it as much as possible, but it's very hard living in a city to not shop at Amazon or Walmart or Target just because they can get the best prices for a lot of these things. But when you spend money for organizations like that, then they can lobby and they can buy these politicians and they can pass whatever legislation doesn't help the environment just helps them offer a service for cheaper. First, if you spend money at a local butcher or someone who's raising animals the right way or not doing factory farming or something like that, you, that is how you get to a better, uh, you know, a, a healthier future for the environment. But this idea that we can centrally plan a better environment, I mean, it, it like, like I said, I just have to laugh about it when I think about how the United States and other countries who have built the industries they have through fossil fuels want to go over to a place like Africa where people are dying in hospitals because they don't have reliable energy and say, no, you, you can't use a generator. You're going to have to use uh, <laughs> solar panels and wind turbines. And, you know, if the energy isn't reliable because it's intermittent and, you know, it goes out and someone, you know, was in the middle of a surgery, well, that sucks, but, you know. We, we can't have you polluting the environment with fossil fuels. And, and no one thinks about that because it's so obfuscated. But uh, I, I think voting with your dollar, when you pay these big corporations and um, y- you give them your money, that that's the stuff they lobby for and they just try and virtue signal while letting stuff go on like that in the background. And like I said, I don't mean to laugh, but it's just like, my God, like <laughs> w- what a system we created for ourselves.
1: Yeah, I mean, the left, they they, they claim to have good intentions. But from what I've seen, every policy, every central planned policy, that they try to impose to get where they want, has the opposite effect of their desire. Every right, a, a vegan wants a, a healthy, thriving ecosystem, and they want the end animal suffering, right? That's what they want. But through their veganism, and importing avocados from Mexico and from across the country, or, um, you know, buying crops from mega corn and soy farms that destroy everything in its path and completely mm-hmm. eradicate and destroy the soil. They're, they're ending a lot more life than they would have if they would just eat a cow that had been grazing on a pasture.
0: 100%, I mean, they kill the biodiversity, they kill all the plants and animals in those fields, and it just absolutely ruins the soil, like you're saying. You think too, I mean, obviously like, it, I I like how uh, Alex Epstein puts it in his book, how we have this like delicate nurture assumption, like nature's just this like nice thing. Um, And one of the things you talked about, how like in your subsects, how winter is the best time to build your body, your business, your mind, all these things. And it's like the amount of deaths that occur because of cold weather are insane. And he's got a chart in his book that shows fossil fuel usage going up and to the right and the amount of climate related deaths doing the exact opposite, you know, going down over time. And it's a direct result of the fact that because of reliable energies we've been able to heat our homes we've been able to survive in the winter we've been able to mitigate all of these horrible climate catastrophes that just naturally occur regardless of what we do in the environment the climate is a harsh brutal thing and uh yeah we just we have to stop with all this virtue signaling if we actually want to create a more viable healthy vibrant planet and i mean the animal thing that's like the idea that cows are the the what's causing global warming. It's just heinous. <laughs> Maybe, fa- yeah, factory farms are horrible and like putting a cow in a giant factory and having them fart, I'm sure it's not great yep. for the environment, but you can just fix that by having them roam pastures. But I, I think it kind of ties back into the dollar too. And, and I'd love to hear what got you down the Bitcoin rabbit holes, Austrian economics, or, you know, for me, it was the number go up technology. And then I stayed, cause I, I kind of saw like, this fixes a lot of these broken incentives of factory farms and all this other stuff. I'd love to hear how, how you went down that journey and what you think bitcoin can fix
1: yeah so it was almost a year ago today that i kind of started my journey down the bitcoin path i was in college at the time that was before i dropped out and i had a professor he was an economics professor he was the only good one in the entire university sadly because everybody at university is just they're they're shilling the new thing <laughs> that the, yeah. the WEF wants you to learn. Right? <laughs> Especially if you're in an economics program, it's it's ugly, it is not it is not worth your time. Um, he's actually one of my neighbors too, a good friend. He introduced me to something called catalactics, which is a field of study within the Austrian economics school of thought. Um, it's kind of similar to praxeology. I don't know if you're familiar with either of those, but catalactics, it's the idea that a market doesn't exist as a market a market only exists as the individual transactions between each free acting member of the economy. Right? That, that's all that's all it comes down to, right? The idea that there is like an aggregate demand of the market is, is just a load of a bowl, right? Because like, that really doesn't exist. All it is at the end of the day is people transacting upon another. And so I started to read into Charlie Manger, Charlie Manger and um, Mises at that point, a little bit. And I was like, dang, I like this a lot. This is like, this is what I've been looking for. This, this is what they're not teaching me at school. Right? This is the exact like this is antithetical to the indoctrination that they're trying to give me at this university. And I was he recommended that I listen to the Lex Friedman podcast. I don't really like that podcast anymore. But it helped me because I discovered two really valuable people in my life. And I, was, I remember I was sitting in my hot tub. I started at 10 o'clock and I found a podcast with Robert Breedlove and a, a podcast with Safety Anonymous. And I listened to both consecutively. And I was in the hot tub until 5 a.m. that morning, just cause it's like, this is it. This is like, everything <laughs> yeah. that I have believed in my entire life is like, it is embodied in this Bitcoin, right? Like everything that I've been interested in, every problem that I've seen in the world, like it, it's right here. And like, it was, I felt such a feeling of ecstasy at that point. And from that point on, I've just been, I just been going deeper and deeper and deeper. And most people think most of my family and my friends and the people that I've lived around just think I'm a radical lunatic at this point. (laughs) I've gone completely Alex Jones. But I I don't care, man. It's it's the it's the best I've ever felt in my life. Um, And it's been so good and so eye opening for me. And it has done wonders in my in my business life, my personal life and in my relationships, uh, to kind of see the truth of the realities of the world.
0: Man, so uh, one of my favorite things about doing this podcast is just talking to other Bitcoiners and hearing their stories. And I've yet to hear one who who isn't just so excited for the peace, prosperity, abundance and hope that this orange coin can can bring to the world. And uh, there's so many different reasons why people get into this. And it's funny you brought up that, um, I, f- I forget, what is it called again? Not Praxeology. Um, Catalactics. Uh, Catalactics, yeah. I just wrote a piece for Bitcoin news titled, here's to more markets, not less. And in that piece, I just talked about the idea that we, we don't know what kind of markets are available to us. You know, I started out by asking like, how many cars would you buy if you could buy nice parts for 500 bucks? Or flowers, like really nice roses only cost a dollar. Or you know, filet mignons cost five bucks, like if everything was just getting cheaper, how much more of that thing would you buy? And you know, I think in an inflationary system, people might hear that and think like, that's, that's ridiculous, that that'll never be the case. But realistically, if we didn't spend so much money on this war machine, if we weren't sending hundreds of billion dollars to Ukraine to fight, you know, it'd be like Russia, sending money to Mexico, if we invaded Mexico like it just it makes no sense and so much money is wasted Mm -hmm. on just bullshit on stuff that shouldn't matter technology getting better should increase the productivity of everyone so all our goods and services get cheaper and cheaper and it's sad that Keynesian economists don't spend any time thinking about what abundance and prosperity deflation could bring to everyone no one would be bitching about taxes or inflation if we didn't have inflation and we just let deflation take hold. And people would be like, oh, well, TVs are cheaper and you can get better quality. <laughs> okay, maybe, like, shitty consumer, like, pixels. But anything desirable, education, homes, healthcare, anything yep. that you really need, quality food, it is through the roof. Anything that, like, is vital to having a healthy life has just gone up and to the right and it's a symptom of broken money. And I know a lot of people, you know, they roll out and say, "Oh, this like Bitcoin thing," but just the more people I talk to, it's just so hopeful to see the hope and excitement they get about this thing. And uh, I mean, it's a deep rabbit hole. You, you know, you have to. I mean, it's not easy to run your own node, and but just that idea that there's 21 million, and you can have a part of 21 million coins, and no one can take that from you if you secure a property properly. It, it makes you want to take more self sovereignty in your life, and it makes you want to be a better person. And It just makes you reassess so many things in your life when when you kind of start to see the problems that the dollar brings about and then uh, start to see the way that bitcoin might be able to fix these problems especially on a long time horizon
1: absolutely and i think that one of the biggest pills or one of the biggest things that come along with learning about how broken and upside down the world is because of the money is the the value of time preference right you see that so many people are engaging in what we call high time preference behavior which is extracting pleasure now at the expense of prosperity in the future. All of the all of the bad things about humanity, if you want to look at a successful individual, if you want to look at a unsuccessful individual, the the, the biggest common denominator between those is the law of time preference that one individual can put off pleasure now, and towards investing into the future. And the other individual will rob themselves of a prosperous, happy, fulfilling future. So they can just scroll on TikTok and, you know, masturbate or do whatever (laughs) they want all day. Right? Because that that's, that was the biggest thing for me is that I, I, I learned to examine all of my actions, Upon that frame of reference. Right? Is this action, this thing that I'm doing, is it building me into the future? Am I gonna be better off in the long run doing this, or am I going to be worse off in the long run doing this? And that framework alone, you can get so much done in your life, right? That's 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 really all you need. If you can do that, then you're golden.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's one of the things I wanted to ask you about, it's kind of all the cheap dopamine that we have access to now via social media, via Netflix, via whatever, um, like tips and tricks that you've been able to implement in your life. And I think stepping back and examining, right, what action, and it's a fine line. Cause like, obviously social media can be a very powerful tool to help you build a business, to, to help you find other people like breed love and safety and the moose you brought up. I mean, podcasts, like what just, like to think that we have access to experts in whatever field from Bitcoin to medicine, to science, to physics, to, I mean, you name it, you can like listen to some of the greats. you know, at the click of a finger. um, But I'd love to hear some other tips and methods you found to make sure you're using these tools to better your life and not just give into the cheap dopamine hits. uh, uh, Like I I think Twitter is a very valuable tool, but I also do find myself spending too much time on it sometimes and I'm constantly like, all right, how can I step back and make sure I'm leveraging in the best way possible rather than just sinking time into, you know, doom scrolling?
1: Yeah, no, that's that's right. That's that's one of the biggest problems I see in society today is that fire is a double-edged sword. It always has been, or not fire, technology is a double-edged sword. It always has been, always will be.
0: And fire is technology. so. Fire
1: is one of the first <laughs> forms of technology, as far as I was going with it, is that Fire is a really, really bad thing if you can't control it, will right? it'll, it'll burn everything that you have in your life, gone, ashes. It'll burn entire forest down, all your food, gone, right? Burn your child or burn your wife, whatever, right? It, it, it can be the worst thing ever for you if you don't know how to properly harness and channel that technology towards productive and good ends, but for humanity, for man to be able to find out how to use such a destructive force properly has, has launched humankind right into realms that they never would have thought possible because they could harness this double-edged technology that could both be used for harm and could both be, be used for good. Mm-hmm. And, the, and technology today plays such a big role in most people's lives, but yet nobody is taught or educated on how to use it properly towards good ends. I see the younger generation coming up. And they're living, right, they are all TikTok minded. They're all um, on their phones constantly. And you, I can't even have reasonable conversations with them anymore. I think a lot of people genuinely lost the ability to communicate clearly, because their dopamine circuits are so fried, that they can no longer string one or more coherent sentences together in order to get their point across, right, because they're thinking such in such a short time frame. Because they're, they're constantly watching short form content, right? They're, they're playing video games while they're watching TV. They can't even do one thing at the same time where they're playing video games while they're scrolling TikTok on their phone. They can't do one dopamine task at a time because it, it's so fried. And I think this is so bad for the, the mind and the mental state of, of men and women, right? Because when you're doing this constantly, what's not happening is you building anything, right? All it is, is consumption, right? Good dopamine release comes from when you build something. Because you and I both know when we complete a task that we set out to do, whether it be a big or a small task, we feel better, right? We get we get that rush after we complete said task. And at the end of it, we're better off, we've built something. Whereas People today, a lot of people, they get all of their dopamine purely from consumption, right? Consuming other people's products, consuming other people's content, right? And they haven't built, and at the end of it, they, they haven't built anything, right? They're they're worse off. Their time is gone, right? The best, the biggest asset we have, our time, it's just fleeing from them like smoke. And so, for me, I think in a lot of ways, the for man especially today, in general, that is. That is the coming of age moment that is that is what will set you off for a path to success or a path of failure is if this great force of technology overcomes you or if you overcome it and use it properly right so you have you have to be so disciplined about it and i think that discipline really does start through physical discipline through going to the gym right because if you can get up every morning or go every day to the gym to put yourself through a grueling one hour workout, or however long your workout is, every single day, you're telling yourself, your mind that okay, I am the captain, I am in control of the ship. Most people can't even do that today, right? They, they can't even get out of the beds at a reasonable time, go on a walk. It, it's not good. And then your body will crave at this point, if you're exercising regularly, healthy foods. Right. And so you will become more disciplined in your eating, because if you go hit a two hour long leg workout and then eat a bag of Cheetos and mayonnaise directly (laughs) afterward, you're going to feel like shit for the next week. Right. Your your body knows. Right. There's there's an imbalance where you've you've exerted yourself greatly and your body knows I need I need milk, meat and eggs right now. And that is all I want. And that is all I need. And you can eat as many milk, mag, eggs, and meat as you want, and you will just feel better afterwards. Whereas eating shit food, it'll feel good in the in the short term, but in the long run, it's gonna it's gonna hurt you, um, and you're gonna feel awful.
0: And that so is just
1: sticky. using that will force to to force yourself to exercise to keep a strong body. I think that snowballs into so much more.
0: Oh yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up, because I think that is such a key point. You know, it's like the more I scroll Twitter, the the more like just the, the less dopamine that it releases. It's like the law of diminishing returns. Like the more I do it, the the less effective it is. Versus like when I go for a run, it's like the, the more I run, the better the mm-hmm. runners high get, the longer I can go. And it's like the opposite effect. Like I, I wanna run longer. I wanna go for more runs. I wanna be out in the sunlight. I wanna exercise. You know, I read a great uh, TikTok article by a guy named Gerwinder. I don't know if This is whatever his name online. He's got a Substack called The Prism, and he talked about how TikTok atrophies your brain because you have this instantaneous dopamine hit, and that TikTok is even more malicious than some of these other platforms like mm-hmm. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, because on these other platforms, you know, you got to go around and follow people, you got to put in your interests, you got to actually interact with the app to get the most out of the algorithm, whereas TikTok, the second you start looking at it and you know, scrolling through videos, it notices how long you were watching. It doesn't, besides you just using the application, it doesn't need any input to start recommending you more and more addicting content. And then that atrophy in the brain, like you said, it's you know, I, I haven't been able to talk, I guess, with so many people in that age range who are coming up with that. And it's such a new technology. We don't have the studies out. But I think it's very scary the studies that will come out of that and uh, what we're gonna learn about how, just how bad it is for atrophying your brain and not letting you sit down and focus and get like something meaningful done. You know, like, I, thanks to Bitcoin, I've been trying to read longer books like Mises Human Action or the Bible. And, and even then, like I've gotten better, but a lot of times I find I do have to break it up, 10, 15 pages, like, I, you know, and I, some people are just built different, but like, I would love to go to just sit down a hundred pages, boom. And I think part of the reason why it's not so easy to do now is because we have all of these instantaneous I'm... dopamine hits we can get on social media. And uh, the, the brain is a muscle in the same way, but it's just more malicious because when you eat like shit and you don't exercise, people can look at you and tell that you've been eating like shit and not exercising. Whereas you know if you're spending all your time and atrophying your brain in that way, unless you spend a decent amount of time with someone in. You know, hear through conversation that they are just kind of losing it up there. It's a lot harder to see and realize that someone hasn't been taking care of their brain. Whereas with the body, it's just uh, you know, it's it's so apparent.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think that's a really good point. Is that people can can feign or fake being normal for a little bit, but spend an hour with them and most more often than not you'll want to be out of there because it's you're talking to a brick wall right? somebody <laughs> that isn't really capable to to really dive down into the depths of their mind and and think intelligently and then speak intelligently about whatever they're thinking about right people people used to have to go build log cabins from scratch right starts to finish right no no cut in between <laughs> they need to get this done or else they die they will freeze to death but people can't even like microwave a hot dog without scrolling on their phone while they're doing it nowadays. Like it, it, it is so it is so pervasive throughout society today that it, it, it makes me sick seeing how most people live. It, it genuinely genuinely makes me sick, seeing how people can't read a book anymore. They can't. they can't sit down and write anymore. They can't listen to a one hour long podcast. Even though they'll go and watch five hours of TikTok a day, but one hour of a of a conversation is too long for you to listen to because you can't keep your mind in track. And I think that comes down to it so much is that you just you have to hold your hand through every experience that you walk that you walk through, and that, that's what I do to get myself through it. I I literally envision myself holding my own hand, saying okay. Let's, let's not, let's not scroll on Twitter for five hours right now. Right? You want to do something, you know it. So shut your phone off, and think and then get whatever you want to do done. I, I You have to, you have to be like, a so precise, and so exact. To guide yourself through these situations. And that's always how it has been. But the it, it's not like guiding yourself through battle anymore, like it was, you know, 500 years ago, but it's it's guiding yourself through the battle of your attention. Because the, the two people, I think is, that will form in society is people that can use their attention wisely. Right? And people who can't use their attention wisely, people who use their attention to build things, and people who sell their attention for dopamine.
0: It's, uh, it's such a good point. I love the framework of literally thinking, like, through the thought experiment, like, all right, I'm going to hold my hand and go throughout the day. And, like, what am I going to guide myself to the bag of potato chips or am I going to guide myself to my running shoes so I can go outside or I can go hit the gym? And, uh, that, you know, you, you had a great point on Twitter just talking and, and what you just brought up now about how, like, back in the day, people had to build their own log cabin. So they gave a shit about the quality of it. They built it from start to finish and they really focused on making quality stuff. And, uh, I forget exactly what you said in your tweet, but it was something along the lines of how like most modern cities are just these ugly mirrors, you know, uh, like skyscrapers and, uh, in Boston, it's so funny cause I walk around and I look at the old buildings, man, and they're beautiful. Like yeah. there's some incredible historic stuff. And then, you know, I, there, there's some modern stuff I like, but most modern stuff is just so brutal and ugly as all get out. And if you look at like the, uh, where the the mayor of Boston resides and like that whole government building, it is fucking hideous. Yeah. But then you look at some of these other like Faneuil Hall and like the Big Clock in Boston. It's like, damn, like that is some beautiful <laughs> architecture. And it's, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's just it's a perfect metaphor for you know low time preference versus high time preference. And yep. it, I think as great as technology is and how it's supposed to make us more productive, it only makes humanity more productive if we have builders if we just have consumers and no one's building shit well i mean atlas shrug gives a perfect example of what happens you know when when you lose all the builders all all the people providing value because you demonize them for turning a profit you know so i think it's uh you have to be very careful with uh what you consume and yeah how you use your time
1: yes it's going to be it's going to be interesting because everybody just wants to make that internet money today and i don't blame them Right? I mean, it's it's good to have that source of income, and I think it's important that at least for everything you're doing on the internet, you have one thing that you're doing equal, like in physical reality. Uh, that's kind of a, a rule or guideline that I've set for myself. But everybody wants to go be, you know, a financial analyst nowadays. But to go be a home builder or a plumber or a woodworker or an architect or a carpenter those things are becoming so out of fashion. And it's because the fiat monetary system is making those things harder and harder to be profitable on. Right? A home builder now has no incentive to actually build a a nice, beautiful home that will be beautiful 100 years from now. Right? They have every incentive to make the 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 grade the standard for most doors today. It's it's literally cardboard surrounded by styrofoam. You, you could, I, I could poke my finger finger through most doors. Right? The, the quality is just awful. It's, it is absolutely terrible. Whereas, you know, 17th century peasants, they they were living in, a, in, in homes that are really more quality made than <laughs> homes are today, right? Homes literally are, and furniture, they're just crumbling apart, right? All this Ikea furniture just made out of MDF, which is just medium density fiberboard sawdust glued together, it's crumbling, like in their own, in their own fingertips. And I lived in Denmark for a while, actually, and it is so interesting to see the contrast between buildings that were built in the 18th century, right, with, you know, little technology, or a steam engine, like that kind of thing, to buildings that, you know, with the advent of technology should be even more grand and more beautiful. But you'd see them directly, like juxtaposed, right next to each other, like a beautiful, like a beautiful church right next to a modern clock tower, and it, it, <laughs> it is so grim. It is so, it is so disgusting that these modern architectural endeavors have infiltrated like this this beautiful low time preference history and society, and it, it, it's really eye opening to you that people built better things with worse technology. It it really comes back down to people, but it's because the fiat monetary system, it makes shit seem like gold because uh, any house, any normal house or apartment building should depreciate in value over time. It should be getting less and less valuable because things naturally entropy. That's the natural state of matter. They, They get worse over time. If if you don't put work into it, whereas I could go buy a two bed, one bath shithole down the street, you know, five years from now, it might be two X in value. It might go from $500,000 to a million dollars in 10 years time because of the broken monetary system. So people have this illusion that their property is actually appreciating over time, when in reality, it's just the money is going down in nominal terms against it. Yep. right the, the the real estate's going down in nominal terms against the money whereas in order to build something that preserves value over time you have to build it beautifully and you have to build it soundly because beauty is a value that transcends time and space right that that beauty will always be beautiful the same beautiful things will always be beautiful and that's why people put detail and beauty into their buildings before but now, it's become completely utilitarian. Whereas the only thing that you need to do in a building is have four walls and a door and some plumbing. And it will still go up in value over time. It's, it's really like a subversion, uh, upside down clown world and, and in terms of real estate and uh, architecture today.
0: And it's such a good point. And then you know, they'll throw in some AC and a laundry machine and people will be like, but the convenience, kings and queens <laughs> didn't have air conditioning. I'm, I'm living better than them. But, I mean, it's, you know, one of the signs that money was broken to me is I bought a used car right after I graduated college in 2020, and uh, it was right when COVID hit, and used cars were like selling for hotcakes because these rental car companies, no one was renting a car because the whole world was locked down. And since then, I've put about 40,000 miles on that car, and that car is worth like a couple thousand more now. than when I bought it initially, despite 40. And and, and, I mean, a car is not an appreciating asset. Like it should not be worth more. It's just the money is broken. And uh, it kind of goes back to that point we made earlier um, is about like, there should be more markets and who knows what kind of beautiful things you could buy and the amazing types of markets that would be out there if we had a lot more builders people trying to build quality stuff mm. versus if we had speculators and people yep. just buying a house solely because they know it's a better store value than the dollar which is programmatically mathematically designed to debase every time the federal reserve creates uh, creates new dollars out of thin air
1: yeah that's that's also an interesting point you brought up the real estate market i've worked in real estate for some time now so i they have a pretty decent understanding of this but because people see real estate as a better investment than the dollar which typically it is a better investment it'll hold its value better over time than the dollar does everybody and their cats and their dogs want to put all their money into real estate which is good for them but in reality that just drives the price of real estate up even higher right that just crowds out the ability for a young single adult to go and buy their own house because everybody wants and is flooding their money into a propped up real estate market because people are using it for a store of value when in reality it really for most instances it, sh- it should not be a store of value for people their money should be a sound enough store of value that they can use on whatever they want right that's the nice thing about money is that you can use it for whatever you want in the future whereas real estate it it kind of sucks because you have to sell the real estate you'll you take tax on the real estate you can't move your real estate from place to place there's so many problems with it that make it like a worse store of value than a good money would but because our money is so shitty and broken people will use real estate to preserve their wealth which in turn just jacks up the price of real estate making it harder and harder making the barrier of entry harder and harder higher and higher for people to go and own a house
0: yeah, and to tie this back to the beginning, then it makes it harder to start a nuclear family because less and less people can afford homes. And I don't know if you know who Lynette Zing is. She's a gold bug. I recently just saw a video of her just talking about how ridiculous our system is. And in it, she made the point that these techno, kleptocrats, whatever, are gonna try and have it, you know, they're gonna, oh, the convenience. You can just put all of your stuff on your phone and the equity in your home. And you know what? We're gonna make money where, say you wanna draw from your, you know, the equity in your home, you don 't even have to worry about going and refinancing it. You can just hit a few buttons on your phone and draw that equity and keep drawing that equity until so next thing you know, you have no equity in the home and then you 're just renting all over again and uh, it 's just funny how all these things tie into each other, and the Bitcoin path provides people a path to actually own more stuff to let their money deflate, to let them get access to more and more markets to let them flee tyranny if the state or nation they 're living in is being oppressive. Mm. Or you can go the fiat route, where everything gets more expensive. There's more nihilism. You know what? They'll probably accept you. The fatter you get, they're gonna love it. So yep. you know. And if you want to do like, they'll they'll give you freedoms and all these things that uh, I don't want to say they don't matter, but they're not gonna they're not gonna help you in life. You know, it's a, they'll give you freedoms and all the things that will will let them solidify their control essentially.
1: Yeah, that I think it's interesting. You kind of mentioned. Like the polarity between the fiat system and the sound money system, and I've seen—I mean, I think there is—in in reality, the fiat system that we have is extremely polarizing, because for me, right, I want 15 kids, big family, big house, all these nice things. I just—I just want to live a like normal, sound, reasonable life, but the the fiat system that I I've been raised in, that I'm living in now, does not allow me to just go get a job and, and do those things, right? A minimum wage job, I'll have a take home income of $300 after taxes and, and rents and car payments and all these things. $300 is not going to support the 10 kid family, right? So for people to get what they want in life, like to have a big, healthy, beautiful family, right, live a life of freedom and autonomy, and all these things, you have to be so much more productive than people did in times of old, right? 50s, 40s, 30s, right? 100 years ago, people could be a sheep farmer, and they could have a, they would have 12 kids, and they would get by just fine, and their wife wouldn't even work. Right? Whereas now, if you want those things, you have to be so uber successful and um, focused on, on providing yourself with those assets, with those systems, with those financial resources. To build you out into the future and I think a lot of big corners realize this and it helps them to be more productive in the long run um it, it but it, on the other hand the people who don't aren't up for that challenge that the fiat system has created for them they will just live in their pods and they will have uh an internet girlfriend that they pay two dollars a month for see see
0: their cricket protein powder
1: smoothie. Yeah, with, <laughs> Yeah. exactly. Right. So it, it really is a polarizing force. You can I mean, I'm sure you can see it in people um, just by seeing how their brain works and how they talk and how they speak and operate. You you know, right? Like, right from the get go, if they're red pilled or blue pilled or based or, you know, so <laughs> you, you can you can tell it's not hard to tell. Like it, there's two classes. Of people forming.
0: 100% gentlemen it has been an absolute pleasure having you on uh, everyone i recommend you go check out his Substack, the good we've got a lot of value reading that where else can people find you online and i, I know you do some woodworking too is there anywhere anyone can go to look, look up your woodworking
1: yeah thanks for that um no just right now just uh my Substack, the good x I, I need to change my name i just i was making a Substack and the good was already taken i was like i'm not Coming up with a new name right now. I just need to get
0: this done. I'll link it so people can find it appropriately. Yeah, in thanks. And
1: then my Twitter handle is never compromise, um, compromises with a K. Um, I'll probably actually be posting some of my woodworks on there at some point soon, but not right now, not as of now. Um, but stay tuned for that. Get yourself some nice quality goods.
0: Nice. I'm excited. I'm, I'm hoping you're accepting Bitcoin too. For oh, yeah. Of for course. <laughs> Naturally. Awesome. All right, guys. Thank you for listening.